and welcome back to the Second and Two podcast. I'm your host, TB. I got my co-host, producer extraordinaire, Jody. What's up, Jeff? Not much, man. You know, we're here. I don't know how it is out there for you, but where I live, it's like more, more often than not, it's going to be gloomy outside. Mm-hmm. And I swear every time I have a day off, it's like it's always gloomy. I can never go out there and like lay down on the beach and just chill. <laughs> but I mean, we're here. It, it's a good day. We're back. We got our last one of these things, which is kind of wild. That's been eight weeks already. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've broken down almost the entire league now. Um, yeah. We're getting to the end here. And uh, we're our last division, the NFC West, probably one of the, I would say, tougher ones to predict in recent years. Um, it's been kind of all over the place with, with the teams. Um, you know, I got, you know, you know, I'd love to give you the tidbits, so we might as well just dive right <laughs> in right now. All right. Um, all right. So, number one, did you know, Jody, the Panthers, Saints, and Falcons? We're all a part of the NFC West at one time before realignment. So, so prior to 2002 is when the NFL went to 32 teams. And uh, so that's when you had the realignment where it was the four by four in each conference. Prior to that, it was kind of all over the place. A lot of the divisions had like five teams or six teams. So, but the, the NFC West had these four teams pl- or these the 49ers Rams and the Panthers Saints and Falcons were all NFC West. That's and then wild. Seattle was part of like the AFC West I believe and joined in. So anyway, 2002 is when this division became what it is now. Prior to that though, Panthers, Saints and Falcons all a part of the NFC West. That's crazy. And now they're yeah. all in the NFC South. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because yet last week we talked about how it made no sense that the Bucks were part of the AFC West yeah. when they first joined. <laughs> These teams were in the NFC West longer than the Bucks were in the AFC West. None of it makes any sense, but it makes sense now that they realigned everything. Everyone in this division has won the division since 2015. Every okay. team in the division has taken a trip to the Super Bowl since 2008. Um, I believe okay. there was one other division that we said could lay claim to that. Um, it was the NFC uh, South is the only yeah. other division that's been able to say that all their teams went to the Super Bowl in that same time frame. Um, since 2001, the NFC West has represented the NFC a whopping nine times or 43% of the time in the Super Bowl. So nearly half in this century, since 2000, essentially, nearly half the time an NFC representative has been from this division, the NFC West. Um, But the division is a combined two and seven in those Super Bowl trips. So haven't had a lot of success when they get there. The the (laughs) AFC has loved to see an NFC West team, apparently. You've had... The Rams are one and two. They obviously mm-hmm. lost to the Patriots in the early 2000s when the Pats won their first Super Bowl. Lost to the Patriots again nearly 20 years later in uh, Super Bowl, what was that, 53? 
I believe. I don't remember. I know it was when Jared Goff was there with uh, Gurley. Mm-hmm. And then they won, obviously, in Super Bowl uh, 56 at home in mm-hmm. 2021 uh, against the uh, Bengals. 49ers, they're 0-2. They lost the Harbaugh Bowl mm-hmm. in uh, 2012 when the lights went out in the Benz. Then they also lost more recently against the Chiefs. They lost to Patty Mahomes. Um, the Seahawks are 1-2. and two. They lost to the uh, Big Ben final send-off for Jerome Bettis-era Steelers in uh, 05. That was when they had Matt Hasselback and Sean Alexander. Uh, Sean Alexander. Way to go, Joe. Um, and then they uh, obviously beat the brakes off the Peyton Manning Broncos, as you know. Yeah. Sorry. Right here. Um, and then lost. <laughs> lost the next year against the Patriots. Obviously, everyone knows the Marshawn Lynch. Yep. It's kind of funny. All these Super Bowls are pretty memorable. I would say like <laughs> maybe the least memorable of all the ones I've talked about so far might be the second Rams Patriots Super Bowl, but the rest of them were all like incredible Super Bowls, actually. Yeah. Um, and even that Rams Patriots Super Bowl was close. It was just no one could score. It was kind of it was just tough to watch. But the rest of the games have all been that I've mentioned have all been pretty good games. And then the Cardinals are 0 and 1. They also lost to the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Jerome Harrison. Yeah. So um that's the Super Bowl record in a nutshell there with this division. Uh the division has had at least one wild card every year since 2018. Um mm. the wild the wild those wild card teams are three and three in the wild card game on the road. So that's actually pretty successful. Um going on the road and and um and one of those L's was actually the Cardinals losing to the Rams. So the division kind of beating itself there. <laughs> yeah. um, then the Seahawks or since the Seahawks famously won the division at seven and nine in 2010, it's consistently been one of the best in football. The winner of this division in that time period has had no more than five losses. So wow. five losses has been the max. You haven't had like a 10 and six team win it or a mm-hmm. nine. and six. Like since it was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. This guy's falling. Basically every year, the team that wins this division has been dominant and pretty much been a, a threat to go to the Super Bowl as we've seen in the numbers. The 49ers have won the division 21 times. The Rams have won it 16 times. Obviously those two teams have been in this division the longest. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. The Seahawks have won it nine times. And the Cardinals have won it three times. Now, keep in mind, the Seahawks and the Cardinals, they've only been in the division since since 2 So all of their division wins have come in, in, in that time. Seattle's actually won the division the most times since realignment, um, yeah. followed by the 49ers, then the Rams, and then the Cardinals. Yeah, that's what I got for you. You feeling primed? Yeah, yeah, Ready to go? Ready to go. I mean, I don't know how, how else you could put it. We're here. About that time. Starting it off, I think we got the Niners, if I'm not mistaken. That we do, that we do. The Niners, you know, they went 13 and 4 last year, finished first in the division. As you said, you know, no one's had less than or more than five losses. And then they lost in the NFC Championship to the Eagles, as we all seen. Yeah, I mean, they took some tough. Some tough breaks here um, in the offseason. They did lose some players. Um, a lot of depth on defense, I would say, is what what they really lost. Obviously, they lost Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. 
However, they're sufficiently in in place to or in <laughs> position to sort of replace him. Obviously, um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But on the offensive line, they lost Mike McGlinchey, the guy who had been a pretty good tackle for them opposite Trent Williams for quite a while. That's a big loss um, that I don't know that a lot of people have talked about, at least not that I've heard in the media. And I think that's a huge, that's a tremendous loss for this team. He was um, he was a stalwart opposite of, of Trent Williams. So you knew you had two legit tackles with those two guys. Yeah. So um, Colton McKivitz, who's going to be replacing him this year, is what it looks like, has a tall task ahead of him. A guy who hasn't played that many snaps is going to you know try and be that guy now. So um, you also lost Edge, Charles Omanihu, and Samson Ibukam. So two Edge players for them that were pretty good. Last year, um, Jim, uh, Jimmy Ward at safety, who had been a Niner, it felt like forever. Like, it just always had to see <laughs> plays for the Niners. Yeah, it just felt like it, he'd been there forever. And then uh, cornerback Emmanuel Mosley, another guy that they lost. So pretty significant production defensively up front in the secondary and then obviously at the offensive line. So um, there are some some things that the 49ers needed to address in free agency. And I think – one of the big things that they did is they went and got Javon Hargrave. They poached him from the Eagles. That was a huge signing because um, Javon Kinlaw did not look great in the NFC Championship game against the Eagles uh, against the run. He struggled a little bit. So Javon Hargrave, I think, comes in, gives them a proven veteran D lineman to play in that spot and should help them against the run. Uh, they brought in Sam Darnold at quarterback, mm-hmm. which is interesting. You know, another top pick to go with Trey Lance and then – you know, the Mr. Irrelevant, Brock yeah. Purdy. And, and it's funny, in a room with two guys who both went top three in their, their respective drafts, Brock Purdy, who's Mr. Irrelevant, is the guy favored to actually win the job. So pretty pretty significant there. And then they also brought in cornerback Isaiah Oliver and Edge, Clellan Farrell, to give them a little bit more depth there, replace some of what they lost both in the secondary and on the edge. Yeah, some people that picked up in the draft too are looking at Jair Brown, safety, and tight end Cameron Latu. Quick question: Is Cameron Latu is he is he a good run blocker? He so it's it's kind of funny. He's uh, from Alabama, played with uh, Bryce Young, uh-huh. and he was known as like a true pass catching tight end. There split out a lot. Yeah. Not really known as a blocker. But on this team, when you have George Kittle and you have, you know, Juszczyk and some of the guys that they have on this depth chart, I don't yeah. think it's the worst thing in the world that he's not a polished blocker yet. And this might have been the best place for him to go. Early, yeah. they can use him as a true receiving threat and then let guys like George Kittle teach him how to block. I mean, there's no better tight end in the league to learn from when it comes to that. So uh, yeah. I think this is probably the best place he could have gone. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Let's see. Management coaching staff they have in the Bay. They got John Lynch, general manager, head coach, Kyle Shanahan, you know, son of Mike Shanahan, offensive coordinator, Chris Forrester, and D coordinator, Steve Wilkes. Yep. Um, Having to, you know, the last two off seasons, they've had to replace their coordinators. Last off season, obviously, having to replace Mike McDaniel this off season, having to replace. Um, D'Amico Ryan. So Shanahan's no seat, you know, stranger though to making those adjustments and and um, replacements. Um, as, just like 
Sean McVay, you know, those guys have both become used to guys heading out the door for better jobs. <laughs> you know, that's just a good thing. You know, obviously it's difficult to consistently replace time and time again, but it's a good thing if you're putting guys out the door. So yeah. um, Chris Forrester, Steve Wilkes, we'll see if they are uh, up to the task this year in, in terms of replicating what they've done in years past. Looking at their projected starters up front, you know, you've got the big fella, Trent Williams, at left tackle. One mm-hmm. of the best, if not the best left tackles in the NFL. He's also, at the very worst, the most athletic tackle yeah, in the NFL. Sure. Can do the most. I mean, I, I think back to the uh, the game against the the Packers a couple years ago in the playoffs when they had him going in motion as like a tight end and letting uh-huh. it run in split zone off of him. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how many other tackles in the league are doing that. So um, he's definitely up there. Left guard, Aaron Banks at center. They've got a nice little position battle, Jake Brindell and John Feliciano. Uh, right guard, Spencer Buford. And then at right tackle, as I mentioned earlier, Colton McKivitz and another guy there giving them some depth is Jalen Moore. Um, so this O-line looks different. You know, it looks different. There's mm-hmm. no Daniel Brunskill. There's no uh, Mike McGlinchey. You know, some of the guys who had been there for, for quite a while. Now, you know, you could say, hey, they had to replace Alex Mack a couple years ago when he retired at center. They've been fine. Um, it seems like the 49ers kind of tend to plug and play um, as yeah, about as well as anybody position. up front. And so, you know, if there's reason to be worried about this offense beyond obviously the the real question at quarterback, I think it's the O-line. But at the same time, they've been pretty, um, pretty good at replacing guys in years past. So um, whoever's uh, – I don't know who the O-line coach is there. I'll have to look that up. But <laughs> I, I would say whoever it's been since Shanahan has been there has done a good job of developing guys. So um, we'll just say that we're going to trust him with Colton McKivitz and um, assume that they'll probably be pretty good at right tackle again. Uh, in the skill positions, Brandon Ayuk at the X receiver, George Kittle, Charlie Werner, and Cameron Latu at tight end. Three fun tight ends for them to play with. All guys who do something a little bit different. Um, obviously then the other guy that comes to mind is Kyle Juszczyk, who's not really a tight end. He's not really a running back. He's like one of the only true fullbacks left in the game. He's kind of that H back. They put him at the slot. They'll put him at tight end. He plays everywhere. There's nowhere for me to even put him on this depth chart. Just assume that Kyle Juszczyk plays everywhere. All right. Then you've got at the slot, Debo Samuel, Ray Ray McLeod, Debo, another guy who kind of floats in and out of the backfield receiver, out wide, in the slot, right? And then uh, outside, uh, you've got Jawan Jennings and Chris Conley um, coming over this year in free agency to uh, give them some depth. At quarterback, we talked about this. I mean, major question mark at the position. You've got Brock Purdy. You've got Trey Lance. You've got Sam Darnold. They even brought over Brandon Allen, another quarterback who you know, is likely trying to fight to be the third guy if one of those three guys in front of him is not up to snuff. I mean, the latest that we've heard on Purdy is uh, that his elbow is going, you know, healing according to schedule, if not ahead of schedule. He's throwing. They're hoping he's going to be ready for week one. Um, They're hoping he may even be ready to participate in training cramp. So that's good news for him. Trey Lance, he's fully recovered off of the devastating injury he suffered a year ago. Sam Darnold came in and was apparently taking like, you know, first team reps in OTAs at, yeah. at times, him and Trey Lance. So y- you never know. Darnold, maybe he revives his career. Shanahan has <laughs> had a way of just 
getting some of these guys in here and uh, and and helping them out. So we'll see um, what that position looks like. Obviously, we'll talk about that more as we go. And then uh, running back to fill out their room there, you still have Elijah Mitchell as well behind Christian McCaffrey and um, the guy I mentioned earlier, Kyle Juszczyk. Defensively. Oh, here, before you get into that, I looked up their O-line coach. You'll never guess who it is or who was, is I guess. It's our guy, Chris Forrester. He was he was holding it down over there in the trenches, and then a little before he got there, it was John Benton in twenty seventeen to twenty twenty. It's funny that you say that because I did know Chris Forrester was the was the O line coach and had been promoted to the OC. I knew that, and <laughs> uh, and it's fine. I just it slipped my mind. I wasn't thinking, but um, appreciate that. Appreciate the update on that, Joe. Yeah. Um, shout out Chris Forrester. You're doing a great job. That's probably why you got promoted to the to the OC. <laughs> So defensively, you know, the names we know, obviously, up front, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Arik Armstead. I mean, those three inside, or those, you know, one outside, two inside, about Mm. as good as a combination of three defensive linemen as you could probably have right now in the league. I mean, those guys are all really good players. On the other edge, Drake Jackson is, you know, no snub either. I mean, I think he, he... um, was kind of behind a couple of the guys that they let go in free agency, and maybe they're expecting Drake Jackson to really take a step up this year, and that's why they were able to let those guys go. They also brought in Clellan Farrell to play behind Drake Jackson, and then you have Kevin Givens and Javon Kinlaw, interior depth, and Kerry Hyder Jr. behind Bosa. The uh, linebacker room, I mean, I think the Niners arguably have the best linebackers in the league right now. Fred Warner... Drake Greenlaw. They also have a couple young guys that I would tell you keep your your uh, your eye on. Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, and then my guy D. Winters out of TCU. Played a great year this last year at TCU in college. Had a great senior bowl. Um, didn't play in the senior bowl game, but but um, was really good in the you know week of practice. Yeah, so he he practiced, and then I think I can't remember. I think he tweaked something, and so he left. You know, after like mm-hmm. three days of practice. Um, but his three days of practice were really good. And um, I was surprised he went as low as he did. He's a little undersized, but super fast. I feel like he fits exactly what the Niners are going to ask him to do. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets to he gets to play a little bit and um, and impresses. So D. Winters, that's a name to keep your eye on in, in San Francisco. And then in the slot, they brought over Isaiah Oliver in free agency to play there. Obviously, at corner, you've got Charvarius Ward and uh, Diamador Lenore. Um, those two guys are both, you know, coming off really good seasons outside inside, you know, Tayshawn Gibson jr. Comes over in free agency. And then, uh, Talanoa Hufunga had a great year last year. They also have, um, Jair Brown, as you said, that they drafted for some more depth. George Odom can play a little safety. And then at corner, you still have Ambry Thomas and, uh, Darrell Luter jr. So that's what their depth chart looks like. The real question is that schedule. Yeah, week one, they start off on the road a couple weeks, actually. Week one, they got the Steelers in uh, Pittsburgh. I don't know what their stadium is called now. I would have said Heinz, though. Uh, week two, they're playing at SoFi. They got the Rams. You know, that's a tough game for the Rams. We'll get into that probably later. Mm-hmm. See, week three, they got the Giants at home on a Thursday night game. So after staying in California, they got a short week. 
Then they got the Cardinals. So they got two already of those divisional games by week four. That one's also at home. Then week five, they played the, the Cowboys. That's a Sunday night. That's a good primetime game right there for week five. Week six, they're on the road to Cleveland playing the Browns. Browns also coming off their bye week. So they'll have some time to prep for the boys. Week seven, the they're playing the Vikings in Minnesota, also a primetime game. That one's Monday night. You know, the Vikings, good luck. Week eight, we got a really good game here. Unfortunately, the Bengals will be coming off their bye, so they'll have some some time to prep for the Niners. But that, that should be expected to be a really good game right there. And week nine is their bye week. So, you know, right in the middle, nothing too special. Not too early, not too late, just right there, splat in the middle. And coming off the bye, they play the Jags, who also had their bye week in week nine, playing that one in Jacksonville. Then they go out to, no, never mind. They, they're at home versus the Bucks. I just seen the Bucks and I'm like, oh, they're going to Tampa. <laughs> no, week 11 at home versus the Bucks. Then they go up to Seattle. So they finally play the Seahawks week 12 on a Thursday night game which is also happened to be Thanksgiving. And then following that game, they got to go across the country, go play the Eagles, that, you know, rematch of that NFC Championship game right there. Should be really good, week 13. Mm-hmm. And week 14 at home, they play the Seahawks again. One of those weird things we've been seeing throughout all of these where you play you play the same team twice in three weeks. Yeah. Let's see, and then, so following that home game versus Seahawks, they go out to Arizona playing the Cardinals. Cardinals will be coming off their bye. That's a really late bye, but, oh, well. Let's see, week 16, they got the Ravens on the Monday night game for Christmas. That sounds really fun. Yeah. It's, and it's going to be over here in, in California, so that'll be nice. Let's see, week 17, they go out to Washington, so they go across the country again play the Commanders. And then they close out the year at home versus the Rams. Yeah, I was looking at this Niners schedule. Um, I think the tough stretch, obviously, to me, is weeks five through ten. Um, they got a, you know, the early part of the season is going to be really interesting for San Francisco, given the quarterback situation. A little bit of, yeah. you know, we're not sure who's going to be playing and who's going to be doing what, but um, whoever is suiting up. By that point, I would assume it's Brock Purdy by week five. You know, at the, yeah. I think that's a worst case scenario for him based on everything we've heard so far. You know, he's got to go play at home against the Cowboys on a Sunday night. He's got the Bengals coming off a bye. And then they got to go road games at the Browns. They're also going to be coming off a bye. The Vikings mm-hmm. on Monday Night Football and the Jaguars, who, you guessed it, are also coming off a bye. They have three <laughs> teams coming off a bye in a matter of uh, essentially four games, five weeks if you include their own bye. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even with their own bye, they come off the bye and play the Jaguars, who also have a bye. So they didn't even get an advantage off their own yeah, bye. They're just true. playing another team that had the same the same rest. So um, it's, it's pretty rough, that stretch. Um, all those teams are potential playoff teams, um, three of mm-hmm. them on the road, three of them against teams coming off byes, two in primetime. Just no easy task there. Um, you know, I think you could see the 49ers start a little slower than expected, you know, because of replacing some of the depth on the O-line. You know, you talked about, you know, the quarterback situation. 
and then having this kind of tough schedule, um, I think we could see them start a little slower than maybe people would anticipate given their contender status. You know, and in saying that, though, kind of looking at their easy stretch, I think their easy stretch is the first four games, the very first four games, because, you know, you get to two games on the road, Steelers and the Rams, but to get the Giants on Thursday Night Football at home and the Cardinals at home. So, again, that opener at the Steelers is not an easy game. Um, And then having to go back-to-back road games and go in division, go to the Rams on week two, I think – is you know the Rams are probably a team we'll talk about later, but a team that's you know healthy this at this point looking for something to prove. So maybe week two is not the time to play that Rams team. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So those first two games are kind of tough, but the next two are I think significantly easier. The Giants and the Cardinals, um, despite the Giants coming off of their playoff year last year, uh, you know we talked about them before and kind of what yeah. I think, but. So I think it could be a two and two, maybe three and one start for them. And then they go into that tougher stretch. You know, I don't think it's crazy to say we're sitting after, you know, week 10, you know, where they maybe are sitting at something like, you know, five and four. And everyone's kind of like, what's wrong with the Niners? Right. Yeah. Now, after that. It, it doesn't really get easier. You get the Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks stretch there. You know, I mean, I'm really excited for that Seahawks game on Thanksgiving. I think that's going to be fun. And then also the Ravens on Christmas, you mentioned the yeah. Niners right now, you know, they're the only team that's going to play on Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. So Niners may have um, taken up the mantle of like most watchable team, you know, at least the NFL team. I didn't say that. Though. <laughs> the Cowboys fans are coming for you. They're coming for it, um, but they may be the most watchable team according to the NFL. At least that's the messaging yeah. we're getting from from the league, you know, by making the statement of having them play those two games on those two holidays. So, but I, you know, I think that's why my prediction is a little lower this year. I think they're going to have a little bit of regression. Um, I think their best players are guys who have traditionally been injured. Trent Williams. Christian McCaffrey, Nick uh-huh. Bosa. All those guys are guys who have had a lot of injuries. The quarterback situation right now is unstable, although I will say this, I would trust any of those three guys in the Shanahan offense to be fine. Yeah. I, I don't think it – it's, it's, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter because those three quarterbacks are all super different, you know, Darnold, um, Lance, and, and Purdy. But I would say with Shanahan, I would trust that he would adapt and – survive that's what he's done his whole career in san francisco as the head coach he just adapted whatever quarterback he has and they get it done so i'm not as worried about that as much as some of the other injuries and then i think whatever quarterback is playing can kind of dictate what their offense might look like and so um that's why i predict them not to be bad but a little bit of regression yeah i mean i get it it makes sense the the quarterback question off the rip is already a tough thing to have you know but the way I see it, I, I, I had them at 13-4 and four, repeating what they did last year. I don't know, man. The way I see it is, that, like, you could – I could probably name three that are going to be really tough, right? Like, Eagles, Bengals, probably win the Cowboys games. They probably split that. And then the Ravens, you know? Don't that's, sleep that's the- on those Jaguars-Browns games that are both on the road with teams coming off buys. 
Well, you know, I'm gonna definitely sleep on the Browns. I don't even care. He, the, the Browns. He's sleeping. They they could go. They could go figure out how they're waking up because the Browns. You know, unless Deshaun Watson is starting to look like himself from Houston, I don't. I don't expect them to be anything crazy. Okay. All right. That's just a fact. All right. Um. So you have them at thirteen and four. Yeah, I have them at eleven and six. Um. We'll see as we go where these teams end up stacking up. I assume you have them winning the division. We'll kind of talk yeah. about where I stand as we go, but um, I do have them as a playoff team for sure at eleven and six. Yeah. The question that we have for the Niners team though is: Do you think they have a answer to their quarterback situation to help them go out and win a ring? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's been the only thing that has held this team back. Um, in the Shanahan tenure is is injuries and specifically injuries at the quarterback position. You know, so it's really like, hey, can they finally solve that issue and get it done, right? And I think if you look, I was trying to get as much up-to-date information before we recorded today as possible. Obviously, today is uh, Wednesday, July 12th as of recording. Mm-hmm. And per NFL.com, Purdy is headed to Jacksonville, Florida this week to throw with quarterbacks coach Will Hewlett and orthopedic specialist uh, Tom Gormley. Purdy remains on track to be ready for the 2023 season, according to Tom Pelissero. Purdy had his first throwing session in the last week of May. Um, he underwent his surgery in March to repair the, the UCLL. 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan said Purdy is ahead of schedule following the surgery. And when, other, when asked about whether he might participate in parts of training camp before getting fully cleared, he said, we're taking it slowly. So mostly good news, I would say there. Um, and I would think if he's not ready for week one, the week one starter will likely be Trey Lance. So my approach in answering this question that you're asking, Joe, is kind of just looking at how these two guys look in this in this 49er offense, right? So... Last year, we know Trey Lance only got to play a game and like a drive. <laughs> yeah, he played that sloppy game in in Chicago against the Bears and Justin Fields. Didn't look great, but the conditions, you know, kind of tough to totally ding him. And then he played this one drive against Seattle. I really wanted to look at that drive, so I kind of featured, you know, some plays, what the playbook looked like with him at quarterback. Right, you have this quick throw, quick game to Brandon Ayuk, who is a beast after the catch, as almost all 49er receivers are. Yeah. Um, but Lance, I think he he did a good job here in the early part of the year compared to his rookie year, where we got to see him play, of just getting the ball out of his hands, not holding on to it, doing too much. You know, I think that's significant progress. Obviously, it's just a five-yard throw, nothing crazy, but... The next thing is the run game, right, with him. Mm-hmm. You get an added element that you just don't get with any other quarterback they have on the roster right now. right? This is motion to empty, get the back out of there. You're going to run a little Q power game. That's that's a nasty part of the offense that, like, if you can run that, you're getting that extra advantage, extra blocker. Everyone talks about the numbers in the run game. When you can do it with your quarterback, you're gaining something, right? Yeah. Now, that's also the risky business of Trey Lance and why you might say, hey, he's always hurt. You're right. Okay. So get that out of the way. 
Now you're in the red zone. Same thing. They get a little cue draw. And again, positive play. Something that you probably aren't doing with any of these other guys on the roster right now. And it gives Shanahan, I think, more ability. This is why people were so hyped when he they drafted him. Because it's a lot of it opens up a whole new part of the playbook for Shanahan. People started thinking, you know, what he did with RG3 in Washington, some yeah. of that stuff. You can see different elements of it. Now, I would say this is on third and goal. And I know it's not a touchdown, so 49ers fans probably didn't like it. But I'm just going to tell you, this is a big boy throw. Number one, he identifies the pressure coming off the edge, and they have a guy not picked up in the protection, and he sees it, right? Yeah. He gets the ball out of his hands. He doesn't fade away, right? He sees he's got the one-on-one matchup with the back on the linebacker running a little Texas, little angle route. And he stands in there. Takes the hit, makes the throw, steps into it, doesn't shy away, doesn't fade away, makes a great throw. It's on target. I would just say that linebacker made a heck of a play making the tackle on the catch. A lot of times in the NFL, I think that's going to be a catch by the running back and a touchdown. And so it wasn't a touchdown, but I thought that drive was it ended in a field goal at the one-yard line, but I thought it was a pretty yeah. significant drive for Trey Lance's development. Showed a lot of things that he hadn't shown his rookie year. So I thought that was very positive. Now you flip the script and you go to the the playoff game now uh, against these same Seattle Seahawks. This is Purdy. Number one, the defense is a little more, or the offense is a little more condensed, and you notice they went under center a lot more with Purdy than they did with with Mm -hmm. Trey Lance. Trey Lance is in the gun more, Purdy's under center. Under center gives you some different things, some different looks than you can from the gun. For instance, play-action boot. Right, you get a lot more of that. Hits use check the Swiss Army knife, as everyone loves to call them, hmm. in the flat little little F slide boot out the back door. Right, you're gonna fake like the block on the edge and then just slide out in the flat. Good play, six yard gain. Very similar to the to the drive starter we saw with Trey Lance, where it's just quick throw, get him in rhythm, get get the ball out of your hands to a playmaker, let him see if he can break a tackle. Again, they're under center. <laughs> little QB sneak to get the first down. That's another thing. Purdy's really good at that, actually. Um, If you watched enough of his tape in year one, and even going back to Iowa State, he's a really good QB sneak quarterback for for whatever reason. He's good at getting low, finding the hole, and getting the yard. That'll come into play later. Keep that in mind. Now you get all kinds of fun stuff, right? We brought Christian McCaffrey in motion from the slot. Debo's in the backfield. We want a little play action with my back turned even out of the gun. Now I've got George Kittle on the outside. Check this out. Brandon Ayuk taking the top off the defense. Uh, McCaffrey has made guys slide to him. You know dudes are all worried about Debo, right? And look what Kittle's going to get right in the middle of the field. Just the deep dig. It's going to be wide open. Now Purdy is really smart, processes really well. He's looking at check, making sure that he holds this defender here, let Kittle clear, and throw it to him on outside the hash here, right? Boom, on the money, on time, big play, right? Gets a chunk out of it. That's what made Purdy so good as a rookie. His processing speed for being a rookie was pretty good, and he played on schedule, which Kyle Shanahan, I think, absolutely loves. Here you go. Here's another play out of the gun. Now they're straight empty out of the gun. This is something else that he did with him. He was comfortable with this in college at Iowa State. They brought it to San Francisco. Let's him see all the options. Get it to Debo underneath. 
again, like the Trey Lance throw, it's not overly impressive, but what do you do? You're getting the ball to your playmakers, right? The yak on that man is wild. Yak ability. We coined the term yak ability. Debo's got the greatest yak ability of like all time. (laughs) All right, here we go. Remember what I said earlier. Purdy's great at the QB sneak, right? This is fourth and goal or third and goal. I can't remember. Third or fourth and goal. He still gets himself in there, scores the touchdown to cap the drive. And that's really the only difference between that Lance drive we saw earlier and the Purdy drive. So here's the thing. Can they figure out the quarterback issue? Yes. Definitively, I think yes. I think they can win with either guy, personally. I I would say that with Trey Lance, there may be a little more dynamic, like in terms of variation of what you're going to get offensively. But with Purdy, I just feel like he's so on script, on schedule, and everything Shanahan wants to do. He runs the offense beautifully. So, again, it's two different guys, two different offenses, but I think both could be effective. And um, I'm less worried about the quarterback issues than some of the other issues they have, actually, believe it or not. Injury bugs? Yeah, injuries, the the lack of depth on defense that they've had over the last few years, the fact that they're going in with Steve Wilkes as their DC, it's not D'Amico Ryans, it's not Robert Sala, that's completely different. So, yeah, that that that's maybe more where I'm expecting regression as much as, and then if they have to play multiple quarterbacks and they're having to sift through that again throughout a whole season, that can weigh on, I think the rest of the guys Um, and even Shanahan. Cause now he, again, he's like, he's had to do almost, it feels like every year. I don't feel like he's had the same guy start from, you know, beginning of the year to finish of the year since he's been there. It's been so tough on him. So I would, um, if they're having to cycle through guys, even though I think they can win with both, I think it makes it harder too. So, yeah, I feel that. I mean, I personally, I know you were talking about Trey Lance probably being the guy if it's not Purdy early on, but I think Sam Darnold might be the one. I don't know. I I heard he's take. got some rapport with George Kittle. Hot take, Joe. Nah, it's not a hot take. That's just, I mean, the guy's been in the league longer than both those dudes. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. I think I, Darnold's been on two teams and it hasn't worked. And again, not to, I, I was a huge believer in Darnold coming out. Like I, even last year, I still had Darnold stock. I was still like, Darnold's going to be good watch. Yeah. And it just got to, it was like, man, he just, it just hasn't put it together. Now, if he gets the chance to start, wouldn't shock me if he was good in the Shanahan offense. Yeah. Wouldn't shock no, me at all. That's what I'm saying, that's, bro. But, but I also think, <laughs> I think that if I'm the 49ers and Purdy's not ready, I'm trying to give Trey Lance some burn and see if we can get some trade value for him. Because we traded a lot to get that guy. And it's nice that we have Purdy and he's like the guy and we're going to feel good about him going forward. But if that's the case, then I would love to trade Trey Lance and get some stuff back for him. At least recoup something. Because we traded like, what, three first-round picks to get him. So it would be nice to just get like at least a, a fourth or third round pick back, you know? Yeah. No, I So get I would think that they might play him to kind of show him off if that's yeah. the case. Well, if you want a hot take, I'll, I'll throw you one. Bring in Colin Kaepernick. My oh! guy's been, he's been he's training sad. five to six times a week, you know? He's, he was on the team before. I mean, 
everything you showed me from Trey Lance, I think Colin Kaepernick did better, honestly. Now, granted, how long ago was that? Like seven years or something? But at the end of the day, I think, you know, if you want to go that route, we might as well bring him in. Uh, I would say it's just the ship has sailed on that. But no, I, I, I get it. I love that you're trying to bang it outside the He's box. banging for himself. I'm just taking his words. Okay. <laughs> All right. But yeah, the next team we're taking a look at in this division, <laughs> we're taking a look at the Cardinals. We they uh you know they didn't have a good year last year. They had injuries galore. You know people coming off suspensions they didn't perform when you know they came back, but. They went four and thirteen, finished last in the division, and you know four and thirteen. You're not making no playoffs. No, no, and um, they seemingly went the kind of tank route this off season. Let's just keep it one hundred <laughs> right now. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, they cut that guy and ate twenty two million dollars in dead money. To me, Crazy. that signals, hey, we're okay with being bad this year. JJ Watt retires. Rodney yeah. Hudson. Uh, I believe, I don't know if he officially retired, but Rodney Hudson was a pretty good center and he's not on a team right now. I think he, I think he did retire. Uh, Justin Pugh at guard. Byron Murphy, the slot corner, who was like their best defensive player. Uh, receiver AJ Green, another guy who may have unofficially re- or officially retired. I'm not sure. D-line, Zach Allen, another one of their better defenders last year. Edge, Marcus Golden, another one of the guys who gave him some production. They lost a, a bunch of veterans, dude, like, and didn't really replace them. They went in free agency and they said, all right, Jonathan Gannon, which which uh, Philly linebacker do you like? And he was like, Kaiser White, we're bringing him in. Okay, that's, that's fine. <laughs> they brought in a guard slash center, probably play center for them, um, Hajalte Froho. And then another Eagles, former Eagles guy receiver, Zach mm-hmm. Pascal to give him some depth. That's it. That's really all they did in free agency to replace all those veterans that went out the door. Now, I would say that their draft I liked, right? I mean, you can talk yeah. about that, Joe, but I, yeah, you know, but still doesn't replace all those guys. Yeah, picked up some O-line, D-line here. We got tackle Paris Johnson, who we talked about. He's out of Ohio State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked them. And then edge rusher BJ Ojolari. People who made those moves that we've talked about so far, you know, general manager Monty Ossenfort, head coach Jonathan Gannon. Who was it before? I don't remember his name. Um, their head coach. Yeah, it was. Um, oh my gosh, I can see his face, and I can't remember his name right now. From Texas Tech. Um. He coached Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech, and I'm just drawing a complete and utter blank right now. I'm sorry. No, uh, yeah. The only dude that comes to mind is Kingsbury. I don't know if that's Yeah, Cliff right. Kingsbury. That's what? who it was. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, o-, o coordinator is going to be Drew Petzing and D corner Nick Rallis. All right. So I've got some, some good stuff on this one for you, Joe. Yeah. Let's see Nick Rallis, only 29 years old. Shout okay. out to him. Um, he was a really good linebacker for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Jumped right into coaching when he was done playing. Uh-huh. Um, went and GA'd. Uh, I think it was Wake Forest for like a year. Then ends up with the Vikings as a QC, you know, quality control, like yeah. analyst guy for 
uh, a year. Then he's like the assistant linebackers coach for a couple years. Then he goes to Philly and gets promoted to the full-time like linebackers coach at Philly. He's okay. there with them for two years. And then Jonathan Gannon, the Philly DC, takes the head coaching job in Arizona. And now he's the DC in Arizona at only 29 years old. That's like an enormous feat. Nowadays, the NFL has gone younger and younger with its coaches, yeah. um, which is which is cool. You know, it's a good thing to see. And that's just the coaching profession feels <laughs> like sometimes there aren't as many young guys getting in it as maybe there used to be or – the, but the ones that are, are like more out in front. And I think it's pretty insane that this guy is a DC at 29 in the NFL. So shout out to him. Yeah. Gives me some like juice and motivation, you know? Yeah. I feel it. So, um, but getting to their, their depth chart. All right. It's not good. Left tackle. DJ Humphreys is good. DJ Humphreys is a franchise left tackle. Um, Elijah Wilkinson at left guard. Uh, as I mentioned, Hajalte Froholt probably going to play center will hernandez and john gains the second at right guard and then it'll it'll probably be paris johnson at right tackle for now so they have two tackles that i think project on paper to be like really good (laughs) the three interior guys though i don't i don't really know if we're gonna like what we see from them so we'll see and they also still have kelvin beecham as another like kind of swing tackle if something happens Looking at their skill positions, it's – I don't know. It's – um Looking thin. Yeah. I mean, Marquise <laughs> Brown I like. I just don't know if Marquise Brown has proven himself as a number one receiver in the NFL. I think I would have liked him better with DeAndre Hopkins and if he's like the number two. Uh-huh. But, you know, you got Zach Ertz and Trey McBride at, at tight end. The tight end room is good. Rondell Moore so far in the NFL has been a little bit more like – gimmicky than he has been like true receiver i think they use him in unique ways cliff did anyway um i I would like to see him take another step as a like a route runner in in, this year and then they also brought in zach pascal another kind of slot guy and then greg dorch is actually super underrated i will give him that he had a really good year last year probably one of the few guys on their team that had like a, a legitimately good year um so i think it's not that their receivers or their skill guys are bad. It's just kind of thin, and you're. I think you're asking guys to play up, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, those guys need to get better, and and they do. They got to play up, and then at running back, James Connor and Corey Clement. Connor's been good for them as the mm-hmm. lead back, um, better than probably anticipated. Corey Clement was a guy who filled a significant role in the Eagles team that went to the Super Bowl in in what seventeen or eighteen. Um, I think, sure. and he, uh, you know, he's a fine backup. Again, nothing that's getting me overly excited with these skill guys. And then it's going to be Colt McCoy probably to start the year, it looks like, and then Kyler will come back at some point. Yeah. Um, that's a whole other <laughs> question in itself. Like if they're tanking, do they want Caleb Williams? I mean, they already, they kind of did the thing where they were like, okay, we have Rosen, and then they drafted Kyler. And then if you go draft Caleb Williams, now if Caleb Williams is the truth, then it's probably all worth it. But that would be the third guy you've drafted top five. And, you know, even if it's not Caleb Williams, if it's Drake May or whoever, then they want a different quarterback. I don't don't know. So offensively, I don't feel great about what they've got. Defensively, I think I feel even worse. (laughs) Um, 
on the edge. I'm just being honest here. BJ Ojolari is a promising young player out of LSU. I do like him um, with Maje Sanders behind him. Inside, Carlos Watkins, uh, Lecky Fotu, Richard Lewis, uh, Lawrence, LJ Collier, Kevin Strong, and then um, on the other edge, Cameron Thomas and Dennis Gardeck. Could those guys all develop and be better players than they were last year? Sure. A lot of those guys, I'm going to guess you don't know their names, Joe. Yeah, I know VJ Ojolari, and apparently he's a rookie. So, I mean, <laughs> that tells you a lot. They're, they're young up front. I mean, they're really, really young. They lost some significant guys. Like I said, Zach Allen and Marcus Golden and guys that went out the door yeah. that were really key contributors. So at linebacker, I do feel better at linebacker for them. They're going to have, you know, Kaiser White and Zayvon Collins. Those two are a really good linebacking core. And then Isaiah Simmons is going to play, looks like more just like nickel this year. Just the nickel, like hybrid safety backer guy, um, which I think will be good for him and it'll be good for the Cardinals. Um, And then in the secondary, you know, you got Antonio Hamilton Sr. and Garrett Williams kind of battling for a spot. Jalen Thompson, Buda Baker, and Marco Wilson are all, all three of those guys are good players. They really don't have anyone behind those guys, though. If those guys get hurt, I don't feel great about their depth behind them. There aren't significant names there that have played real real snaps. So it's it's a lot of unknowns. They're not deep. The roster is thin. Um, don't feel great about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think either of us do. We'll get into that after the schedule. So they start off on the road. First, the Commanders. They go out to Washington right there. They got two home games here. They got the Giants and the Cowboys, week two and three. So they're playing that NFC East right off the bat. Then week four, they go out to San Fran, play the Niners. Following that game, it doesn't get any easier. They play the Bengals week five at home. And then they get a couple road games following that, going out to L.A., playing the Rams week six. And then week seven, they go out to Seattle, play the Seahawks. So they get all those games out pretty early. That's something rare that we haven't really seen where the division gets out that quick where they play all of them. Mm-hmm. And then so week eight and still tough, tough. Uh, I'm assuming four through eight at least, or maybe three through eight. But that's my guess for tough. Let's see. Week eight, they got the, the Ravens at home. I don't know if I said that one yet. And then following that home game, they go out to Cleveland and play the Browns. And then, you know, they finally get a game that, you know, looks promising for them. They got the Falcons at home, week 10. And then following that, they go out to Houston, another game that looks, you know, pretty good. Helps them out a little bit, Texans. And then following that, they got the Rams at home. So they finally get another uh, divisional matchup right here, week 12. And then week 13, they go out to Pittsburgh, play Steelers, and then following all of that, they get their bye week, week 14. Now, I'm assuming they would wish that was a little earlier, but, you know, that's the luck of the draw right there. And uh, coming off that bye, it doesn't look any more fun. They (laughs) get the Niners at home. And then they get a couple road games. Week 16, they got to Chicago. You know, another game that looks like it could be something, maybe. Who knows? And then week 17, they go out to Philly and not not any better than anything else that we've looked at so far. And then they close out at home versus Seahawks. Uh, you 
you said it, Joe. I mean, you're right on. I totally agree with you. Weeks three through eight, man. (laughs) They get home games against the Cowboys, the Bengals, and the Ravens. Yeah. They get road games against the 49ers, the Rams, and the Seahawks. Um. (laughs) You know, so basically, they have to play all their road divisional games in that little stretch, and then the home games are against three of like the best contenders in the NFL outside <laughs> of their division. So, yeah. I'm really not sure they can even win one of those games. Like, I really think it's it's almost a. I would pick them to go zero and six. Like, if I was a, if you were asking me, like, what would I put money on? I would put money on zero and six in that stretch for them. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel it which is a huge blow to any idea of them having success in Gannon's first year. Like, let's just say you, you win the first two games, even if you won the first two games and you're two and out, if you go Oh, and six in those next six games, now you're two and six Yeah, going into, you know, week nine at the Browns. It's, it's just not a recipe for you to have like, okay, we're going to be good this year. I just don't think it's happening. That schedule as much as anything else makes it tough. I mean, they get a little bit of a of an easier stretch weeks nine through twelve. You know, they got the yeah. Falcons, the Rams at home, the Browns and the Texans on the road. Probably the easiest stretch. Maybe they pick up a couple wins there. Maybe they go two and two. Right. Yeah. And they can pick up two wins there and maybe they start the year one and one. And that's where you get three and fourteen, if you ask me. Um yeah. I just don't think they're gonna be very good. Uh I think they're gonna yep. be a top five pick type of team. And I think they may be drafting Caleb Williams or Drake May come, come April. So you would go uh, QB for this team. I think that the Kyler Murray experience was heavily tied to Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, and I think okay. firing Cliff Kingsbury makes it much easier for them to move on from Kyler. I, I think okay. the amount of money they're paying for him, yeah, insane with. With the the stuff that's kind of come out with the you know oh the the clause the contract studying film yeah. and all that stuff that was weird last year and then it's he's injured again and it seems like he's injured every year mm-hmm. he's smaller so that's always like a thing that people talk about and his durability and, and his ability to see over the line of scrimmage and all that stuff yeah. there's a lot of I think Kyler's been as successful as we could have hoped for I mean that guy's he's a good player. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that it's a reflection on him and the player as much as it is like the the Cardinals maybe just saying it's time to reset again. And um, mm. they fired Cliff, and I, I just wouldn't be surprised if they trade Kyler and try and draft, you know, like I said, a, a quarterback top okay. five, and that's where they kind of go with it. So um, obviously there's a huge question too on defense in terms of another guy that they might <laughs> move on yeah. from. Yeah, our guy Buda Baker. Do you think they should follow up on his trade requests or try to get some value out of him, or what do you think they should do there? You know what Buda reminds me of, Joe? Mm, I don't want to say it because I feel like I don't really know if that's a true statement, but I was going to say, I guess, Tyron Matthew or something. I don't know. Oh, I like the Honey Badger comp, but I was going to go more of a, this isn't the banger of the week, but a great T.I. song. You know what that song is that I'm thinking of, Joe? Uh, no, I'm gonna. I, I, I can only think of like a couple, and I couldn't even tell you the name right now. <laughs> you can have whatever you like. Oh, that's okay. Buddha Baker. 
you can have whatever you like. Hey, so Buddha is, he's a chameleon, dude. He's a multifaceted chameleon. Um, he's morphed into whatever that, that Cardinals defense has needed him to be over the years, right? You look at 2019, he had 147 tackles. Guy played in the box as much as anybody, right? Yeah. 2021, he has three picks. He's more of a cover guy. Uh, 2018, he had two sacks and eight tackles for loss. You know, um, he's just, he's a five time Pro Bowler in six years. He's only yeah. 26 years old. He has at least four or five more Pro Bowl years left in him. Yeah. And, you know, if not more, you know, obviously projecting how he ages, he can basically do anything you want from the safety position, right? The guy can play the two high safety. He can play a one high safety. He can be a box safety. He can cover man to man. He can blitz. He can play low in the hook. Um, you know, he can he can do it all, and I think it would be a tremendous mistake if the Cardinals were to trade him unless they get a first-round pick in return. Hey. That's what I think his value is to that team. It's not like you have to trade that guy to reset what you're doing. He's still 26. Yeah. And what Jonathan Gannon's trying to do, I just I can't imagine you wouldn't want that player in your defense. Um, so I think it'd be a huge yeah. mistake to trade him. I understand why he wants to be traded because he's sitting there yeah. saying, I'm 26. I'm in the prime of my career. I'm a pro bowler. I'm on this team. That's probably going to be drafting quarterback in April. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, we were a team that I thought was a contender two years ago. And now we're like, you know, not looking picking. great. Yeah. So, um, I went back, went back in the, in the machine here, found this game from 2020 against the Cowboys. This was an Andy Dalton led Cowboys team. Mm. Um, Dak was hurt. But I just, I just all the different things he did in this one game sh- kind of showcased. I thought really what he's capable of. So there's Buddha right there. All right, watch what he does. He's kind of showing blitz on the line of scrimmage. Um, gets back, is able to make the tackle and force the fumble on Zeke. So he blitzes, then retraces on the throw, finds the running back creates the tackle and forces the fumble to create a turnover. Look at his hands. Boom. Violent hands on the tackle. Great yeah. job. Creates a turnover for his team. That's that's who he is. He's not even like trying to force a fumble here. He's just a he just plays so relentless that as Zeke is trying to tuck the ball away, he's already there. And he that's how he's able to force that fumble. Now you come back. Now he blitzes off the edge. Boom. Sorry, oh. Andy Dalton. Took the wind out of him. That's came right off that edge and crazy. smoked him. Now you can see him. He's up here. It's a too high safety look. He can clean up any mistakes by other guys. Makes that tackle, right? Yeah. And I believe he forced the third and really short there. Now in the red zone, he jumps the pass, um, gets the pick. Second turnover he's to force today. He doesn't quite house this one. Gets close though. Gets close. Um, second turnover he's forced today. So you've seen it all, right? And look at Andy Dalton's face. That's what Buda Baker does to quarterbacks. Look at his face. <laughs> look at his face. Look how excited he is, right? So that's what Buda Baker does to, to opposing quarterbacks. The guy can blitz. He can play in the box. He can play too high safety. He can create interceptions. He can create fumbles. He pretty much do. Like I said, he can do whatever you like. Mm. And I think it would be a real mistake for the Cardinals to get rid of this guy this early into his career. So 
I don't know. The NFL is not the NBA. You know, it's not like the yeah. star can request a trade and get his way, you know. Um, <laughs> we'll probably see Dame traded to Miami here pretty quick. But I don't I don't know that Buddha can just request out and they're just going to trade him. Um, we'll see what they do. I mean, again, they would have to get significant return for me to feel like, okay, like they need like a Jamal Adams type package for what New York got from Seattle, you know. They would need something like that. Um, in order to make that deal, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's dynamic, does it all, like you said, and the value that he brings. Unfortunately, you know, like you said, it's kind of getting washed away out there. But yeah, I mean, I guess this could be a potential spot, bro. You know, they lost some dudes back there in that. But or next team we're taking a look at the Rams. They went five and twelve last year. Finished third in division, you know, over the Cardinals being last right there. Didn't make the playoffs. I mean, team, clearly, I've seen a lot of recently, so I, I probably know the most about this team uh, out of this whole division. So we'll, we'll let you get in the, the people that kind of got walked out or left. So I, it's no secret, at least I don't think I've kept it a secret, that I'm a Rams fan. So understand the most difficult part of this exercise for me is putting aside the fandom and simply being an analyst here, just looking at this team and just saying, (laughs) okay, what's their, and even with that people probably still assume that I have not done that correctly because I'm much higher on them. I think than many of the media counterparts to this podcast, Um, I think a lot of other people are assuming that they're going to be bad. Um. And I, I could see why. Look at what went out the door. Jalen Ramsey, mm. Ashawn mm. Robinson, Allen Robinson, Bobby Wagner, Brandon Powell, Greg Gaines, Nick Scott, and Taylor Rapp. Yeah. Um, all those guys were starters last year and significantly, you know, good players. And that team went five and twelve with those guys. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a natural assumption that, like, okay, those guys all went out the door. And they didn't really replace him. Look at the additions. It's Hunter Long and Akello <laughs> Witherspoon. That's pretty much all they did. Hunter Long, they got in the trade from Jalen Ramsey. And Akello Witherspoon, they signed like two weeks ago. So um, it's not like they went and, and spent in free agency. Um, so, yes, there is a reason to be like, wow, what is up with this Rams team? A lot of guys are gone. They haven't really replaced them um, with free agency. What are you know? What are they doing? I will say this, though. There's a narrative that the Rams didn't have any picks or that they don't have any picks. They didn't have a first-round pick. True. That is true. And they haven't had a (laughs) first-round pick since they drafted Jared Goff. That is also true. They will have one next year unless they trade it away. (laughs) We'll see. But what they did have this year, the the narrative that they didn't have any picks is completely false. They had like a million picks in this year's draft. They drafted like nine players in the draft and then signed like 26 undrafted free agents. They added so many young guys to this roster. It's like insane. The question is, can any of those guys be significantly good players in year one as rookies? Yeah. We'll see. It's not, again, none of them come with the high pedigree of a first round pick, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's tough to assume that they would come in and give you that right away. But there are some players they drafted that I do really like. There's some guys that they brought in that I think can help. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll see. But, I mean, who did they draft, Joe? 
They picked up guard Steve Avila, Ed Rusher, Byron Young, who we talked about. I love Byron Young. Yeah. You know I love I know that most pick. people missed it, but there was a time where I got duped off those numbers. But, you know, that's a story <laughs> for another day. You can go back and check that out. Uh, D. Lyman, Kobe Turner, and then QB Stetson Bennett out of UGA. And another guy I wanted to shout out to, um, another TCU product, uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson at corner, LT's nephew. Mm-hmm. Look forward to watching that. People who made these decisions, you know, general manager Les Need, head coach Sean McVay, as everyone knows, O coordinator Mike LaFleur, not to be confused with Matt, and D corner <laughs> uh, Raheem Morris. So this is like the first year in quite some time, um, or this is like the first time he's had consistency at the DC position in a while, right? So it was Wade Phillips when he came in, then he got, you know, moved on from Wade, brought in Brandon Staley. Mm. Staley was there for a year and then they brought in Raheem. So now we're going into year, uh, I believe, what is this year three of Raheem, right? Um, I think so. Or year four. I, I can't remember now. It's all blur, but um <laughs> It's just they've had, he's had Raheem Morris there for for quite some time, which is nice. The defense has stayed stable. Um, you also bring in Mike Lafleur. I think makes a significant difference. I know Jets fans probably didn't like him last year, but I think it, it's nice to have another guy that comes in and understands what McVeigh is doing um, and can really help him breathe new life into this offense. Then looking at the depth chart. I think one of the areas of tremendous growth for this team is going to be the offensive line. Last year, they started 13 different combinations in 17 games. It's one of the most atrocious stats in terms of injury that you will ever see. Because, (laughs) like, the most beat up offensive line of all time. Like, they just literally couldn't keep any guy healthy. And then after the O line was that way, it just trickled down. Then it gets to Matthew Stafford. Well, then they're playing with a backup quarterback who then. Didn't directly get Cooper Cup hurt, but yeah, you know, Coop then gets hurt. Cam Akers was kind of up and down all year. Yeah, got up towards sure. got up towards the end of the year. You know, Skoranek was in and out of the lineup. Van Jefferson. I mean, every single player on this team it seemed like was hurt at some point on their offense, but yeah. it really started up front and trickled down everywhere else. So I think. Number one, bringing back Joe Noteboom at left tackle, I think has potential to be a very good player again. Um, he missed almost all of last year because of the injury. That's a huge a huge guy to bring back. Alaric Jackson behind him is also a player who had some good reps, and then he also got hurt. So it's nice to have both those guys back and healthy. Um, at left guard, Steve Avila, who you mentioned that they drafted. He was their their first pick in the draft. Projects to start at left guard right away. Projects is a really good player in this offense. I think he'll be fine as a as a rookie. And then Tremaine Ankrum is another guy who, spoiler alert, got hurt after playing decent ball last year. Um, he can go in behind Avila at, at left guard. Center, it should be Brian Allen again. At right guard, Logan Bruss and Coleman Shelton are in a bit of a battle. Anticipated that Logan Bruss should win the job. And then at right tackle, Rob Havenstein. The only guy who's just been there forever. It seems like he's been the right tackle since 2015. So he precedes the the uh, 
the McVay era in Los Angeles. I mean, he goes back to the St. Louis Rams. So yeah, Havenstein's been there for a long time. They, I think they might have drafted his replacement this year, though. Out of Georgia, Warren McClendon Jr. is the backup right tackle. Keep an eye out for him. He could end up being the guy that replaces Havenstein long-term. I think he's got that kind of ceiling. Um, even for for a guy who was drafted, and I believe I can't remember if it was fifth or sixth round, but um, he's got uh, I think a decent ceiling. Uh, the skill position probably doesn't get anyone fired up, but I think it's important that a lot of these guys are healthy. Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Ben Skoranek. Skoranek last year started turning into a little bit of like, you know, McVay's kind of mover guy. Like he's kind of an H back, fullback, tight end, receiver, slot. He can kind of do everything. I'm not saying he's Debo or or use check, but like he was yeah. kind of McVeigh's version of that a little bit, you know. Van Jefferson had pro- proved himself during the Super Bowl year. He's a guy who can be a legitimate receiver in the league. I think Allen Robinson being gone helps him kind of get back to what he was getting target wise. I think him yeah. and and Cooper Cup should be good. Then you also added um, a guy who everyone in camp is raving about. No one talked about going into the draft. I personally did not know a whole lot about him until I saw they drafted him and then did some research. Puka Nakua out of BYU apparently has just been tearing up OTAs as a backup receiver and maybe a guy who plays a lot. Not going to say this. How do I say this without sounding hyperbolic? The way people are talking about him is a lot about a lot similar to the way that people talked about Cooper Cup when the Rams drafted him. That's that OTA period where it was like, hey, this rookie guy that the Rams drafted in round three, and I think Puka was in a fourth, fifth round. Ah, I can't remember where they drafted him. I think it's fifth round. They had so many picks that I can't remember where all these guys were drafted. But yeah, it's like, hey, this, <laughs> this rookie drafted in this later round is actually looking really good. You know, who is this guy? Yeah. And people have been talking about him. I've heard a lot of praise coming out of camp. They also brought in Demarcus Robinson, and then Tutu Atwell is a second-round pick from a couple years ago that's still there and, and could still, you know, potentially. He had some uh, big games last year when he was just kind of the only guy playing at receiver. <laughs> so maybe that helps him develop. And so the names don't jump out, but I do think those receivers should be much better, especially considering Cooper Cup's going to be healthy. And then at tight end, you've got Tyler Higby and Hunter Long, who they they gained in the trade from Miami. Um quarterback obviously nothing matters unless Matthew Stafford is healthy everything says he is mm-hmm. he's the spine is good the elbow is good you know all of that stuff is is good and man this guy's a Super Bowl winning quarterback so it's not like the NFC is loaded with all these great quarterbacks I think I still think he's a top five NFC quarterback right now I mean it's, it you know hurts and and probably Dak are the two that everyone loves Outside of those guys, it's like, hey, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, maybe Brock Purdy, Geno Smith, Jared Goff. You know, like, who's your – I mean, you like Justin Fields, right? <laughs> like, Stafford's in that top five in the NFC, no matter how you slice it. As long as he's I healthy. I haven't heard a good name since the- Jalen Hurts. There you go. <laughs> you like, said Dak, bro, that is not the guy in my eyes. Well, I – you know, I would say that there are parts of Dak's game that I personally really like. Now, is he always 100% consistent? Maybe not. And that's no. where, you know, that's where things are tough with him. He's been throwing too many picks. But that's another team. That was in the past. Um, 
The Cowboys have caught a lot of strays today, huh? I'm sorry, Cowboys Probably. fans. I don't know. But then you got Stetson Bennett backing him up. Heard a lot of good things about him too. And then Brett Rippon um, coming over from Denver. Guy you knew well last year, huh? Yeah, that's for sure. Um, at running back, interesting running back room. You know, Cam Akers in a contract year. No more Daryl Henderson. No, no more Daryl Henderson. It's uh, they got Kyron Williams, who's coming out of his second year. They brought back Sony Michelle. Um, They they drafted Evans out of out of Ole Miss. So they got they got some different guys in that backfield. I think Cam Akers. You're about to hear it right now. I think Cam Akers is going to have a monster year because it's a contract year, and the dude is looking to prove something. And last year he wanted a trade. The Rams couldn't trade him because everyone in the league said this guy's no good. I think he came back after that, and they kind of figured some stuff out after he sat out, wanted to be traded. They couldn't trade him. They had a real conversation with him. I'm sure that was very humbling. Now he's in a contract year. I think this dude's highly motivated. He's healthy. The Achilles injury is now you know, almost three years behind him. I think this dude's going to have a monster year. Like go back to rookie Cam Akers. That's my projection. That's why I think this offense is going to be much different this year. You know, obviously not to mention the health of the O line. The Rams' offense, I think, is going to be back to early era McVay. Stafford's going to be awesome. Cup's going to be awesome. The O line's going to be healthy. Cam is going to be running the ball. They're going to be creative with how they use Skoranek. They've got a second tight end now with Hunter Long that is legit with with Higby. I think the offense is not going to be the problem. I think this offense is going to be incredible again. The defense, mm-hmm. looking at the defensive depth chart, I'm not, I'm not sold on this defense at all. I think yeah. they're going to give up a million points because they're super young. There's talent there, but it's extremely young. Byron Young on the, is probably going to have to start from day one on the edge. That's He is a guy that we did talk about when we talked about our edge players. He's older. Yeah. He's more experienced. He's a little more seasoned. He's 25. He'll probably be more ready to start right away than any other edge guy they probably could have drafted. His ceiling may not be as high as some of those other guys, but his floor and his ability to play right away is there. I think he'll start right away. Daniel Hardy backing him up. Inside, Bobby Brown the third, Jonah Williams, Kobe Turner. All guys that are just young. They don't have a lot of reps. They're all going to be guys playing next to or behind Aaron Donald, who of course mm-hmm. is still the guy. But Marquise Copeland is another guy that will play up front for them. He's played some real reps in the last couple of years. He was on the Super Bowl team. It's just a lot to ask him to be a starter. So he needs to take a significant leap this year if he if he's going to be a, a reliable starter, that is. Uh, Michael Hoyt on the outside as well. Another guy, he played a lot last year out of necessity. He got better, but it's just, again, it's a doesn't inspire. That front doesn't inspire a lot of confidence right now. At linebacker, Ernest Jones at the mic. He's the only other starter along with Donald. Uh, or Donald that was part of the Super Bowl team. He's a legitimately good Mike backer, but next to him, Christian Roseboom and, and Jay Cummel don't have a whole lot of reps. It's going to be interesting at the will position. In the slot, Kobe Durant, sick name, um, was a rookie last year, played pretty well, also got hurt. Um, so we'll see. They also drafted Travis uh, Hodges Tomlinson, who can play in that slot there too. At corner, oh man, it's. Uh, Akello Witherspoon, Sean Jolly, Darion Kendrick, and Robert Rochelle. Kendrick and Rochelle, 
um, in year two and three, respectively. Young guys who haven't – they've played, but they haven't shown enough when they've played to be like, oh, these guys can be full-time, long-term starters in the NFL. So that's a little bit nerve-wracking. Akella Witherspoon gets added two weeks ago. He was just kind of out there for anyone to have. So he's a talented player. He's struggled to stay healthy. Um, one of those longer corners could help them if he is healthy, though. And then Sean Jolly, uh, another free agent they brought in. Um, safety, I actually feel better about the safety position than probably most, just because the Rams' track record at safety has been so good since Les Need has been the GM. They've consistently brought in guys. It hasn't mattered third round, fifth round, seventh round. They've yeah. brought in guys, let them walk in free agency and sign big contracts, and then they just bring in the next guy. I mean, it, it goes back to LaMarcus Joyner, um, John Johnson the third, Taylor Rapp, uh, Nick Scott. Um, um, who am I thinking of? Couple. There's there's a few other names in the in the less need tenure that I'm not remembering their names right now. Keep Rodney McLeod. Chargers. Huh? The dude they brought in from the Chargers. Who's that? Uh, he, he they swooped him right for that Super Bowl run. Oh, oh, um, they didn't draft him. I know you're, yeah, um, they didn't draft him. Oh, you're talking about from drafting. Oh, my God. All those other guys that I mentioned are guys that they drafted in later rounds, developed, got really good, left for big contracts in free agency, and then all those names that I just said are all guys that replaced each other right down the line. So Jordan Fuller was a girl, uh, a kid that looked fantastic as a rookie, has had injuries since. He's finally Mm -hmm. healthy. I think he'll be the dude this year. He's got that one spot locked down. I feel good about that. The other spot, the other safety, Russ Yeast, Quentin Lake are guys that have been in the program for a little bit. And then Jason Taylor, they just drafted. Any one of those three guys could take that other safety spot. So I am, this is what I see this Rams team profiling as a team that's going to score 30 points a game and give up 30 points a game. <laughs> Just because they're going to be so young in the secondary, they're going to make yeah. obvious mistakes. They're not going to have the greatest pass rush ever to help them. It's going to be all on Aaron Donald to be Superman. And we saw kind of, you know, he can't, he can't be everything everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. He's, you know, he's not a movie. So um, I, I think defensively it's, it's going to be tough. I think offensively they're going to be back to where they were early McVay area though. Yeah, I will say, so, you know, Fish, our guy Fish, I've been going to Rams games for the past, like, two years with them, about to be the third year, right, since they opened up the stadiums again after COVID. Yep. And one one very quick way to tell about the turnover is I literally have one jersey, I think, of a dude who's still here at the moment. And the other ones, you know, either retired or – they were there for a year or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it like, yo, who are we going to get this year, right? Like, I was like, I might just have to get a cup jersey at this point <laughs> if I want someone who's going to stay. Because, like, I-, I thought about Brian- Byron Young early just because we talked about him. Like, I knew him, you know. He's zero. Yeah. Like, that's a cool yeah. number. <laughs> I- I've always been a fan of Fuller. I want his jersey, too. That I just haven't come around. Because, like, Four. they have – yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just tough because the jerseys they have, like you can go white or blue, and they don't ever really have the bone unless you're a guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. my, my bone jersey was Robert Woods, gone. 
I have yeah. Andrew Whitworth retired. I have a. You know what's funny? The one jersey that I have of someone who's still here isn't even the normal color. It's like the the army whatever. The res- oh yeah yeah yeah. So it's a green one of Aaron Donald. <laughs> I have uh, Von Miller. He was there for a year. You yeah. Know? At least he won a ring while he was there. I don't know. I don't know how you want me to spend that one. I, the only thing that was cool about it is, you know, former Bronco. And when they played each other last year, I wore that jersey just because I was like, it's both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I might have like, oh, a white uh, Jalen Ramsey gone, you know. Had that one for literally like three weeks. A rare find, and it you know at this point doesn't even matter anymore. Well, I mean, you could still rock it. We still love Jalen in LA. I no, I get it, but it's like it's not the same. You know, the guy's not even. No, you're right. It's not. (laughs) It's not the same. But you know, after going on a little rant about how my jerseys are pointless now, the schedule that they're rolling with, they start off on the road versus Seattle. Fall in that game, you know, it doesn't look easy. This is probably the tough stretch somewhere. Let's see. Week two, play the Niners in L.A. Week three, they go out to Cincinnati on a Monday night game, you know, tough. And expose the whole world. Week four, they got Indianapolis in, in their land in the Dome. Week five, they got the Eagles at home. You know, I will say, like, that, that'll that be cool if I get to go to that one and watch the Eagles live. But, you know, I'm going to be sitting there just like, all right, it's the game. <laughs> week six, they got the Cardinals at home. So by week six, they got all their divisional games out the way. I'm looking for the opposites of whatever they were. Week seven, they got the Steelers coming off a bye. And then week eight, another team coming off the bye. They got the Cowboys in Jerryland. Then they go out to Green Bay, play the Packers, and then that leads up to their bye week 10. Coming off the bye, they got the Seahawks at home, seeing them again. Then they go out to Arizona following that, play the Cardinals. Week 13, they got the Browns at home. See, now that actually sounds like it could be a fun one. You know, I I know I dogged the Browns earlier, but (laughs) this could be a competitive game right here. Week 14, they go out to Baltimore, play the Ravens. Ravens also coming off their bye. So if that game wasn't tough already, you know, just add another layer to that. Following that, they got the Commanders at home. Commanders coming off a bye. Week 16, they play the Saints on a Thursday night game. Now, that's another one that sounds pretty good late in the year. And then they close out on the roads. Week 17, they go out to Joyce, play the Giants. And then they end the year in the Bay playing the Niners. Pretty much those bookends, week two and then week 18 for them. So um, I think their their tough stretch is going to be right out of the gate. I mean, you said it, you know, to start on the road in Seattle um, is not fun. You got to go to the Bengals on Monday Night Football. You got to go to the Colts. Um, I will say getting the Colts earlier – Anthony Richardson earlier in the season, we've talked about this before, getting the rookie quarterbacks earlier is probably better. Um, But then you also have the home games against the two teams that were in the NFC Championship last year, the 49ers and the Eagles. So weeks one through five, four out of five are against playoff teams from last year, three of the final four teams, three Mm -hmm. teams that were in the championship game last year. Um, So it's a tough start. I mean, I think 
if they start two and three, you're probably looking at that as like a win. You know, um, yeah. I think two and three would be a, a good start considering the schedule. If it was three and two, I would probably be looking <laughs> at this team like differently. You know, I mean, seriously, because yeah. that's a that's a really tough start. I mean, that means you're if you're beating the bank, if you start three and two, that means you had to beat the Bengals on the road in Monday Night Football or the 49ers or Eagles, right? Yeah. Um, and in addition, you know, the Seahawks on the road. So, like, you're winning two out of those four games plus the, the Colts game. I mean, that means you're you're looking at yourself, like, a little bit differently, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't expect them to do that, but I would say two and three would be a good start. They have an easier stretch, I think, you know, coming off the bye weeks 12 through 17, you know, you, you get home game against the Browns, um, the commanders coming off a bye, the saints on a short week, Thursday night football. Then you get road games against the Cardinals. That game in Baltimore with the Ravens off their bye is going to be, I mean, you probably chalk it up to an L that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. And then the giants, it's a nice stretch for the Rams where they finish out the year on the road in San Francisco. I think they have five variable winnable games. Um, like I said, five out of six, you know, that one on the road in Baltimore with the Ravens coming yeah. off a of bye is going to be a tough one. But I'd say, you know, you go four and two in that stretch. Um, I think you're looking pretty good. So overall, I think this team, I said it earlier, they're going to, I think they're going to put up points. I do. I think their f- offense is going to return to form. And I think their defense is just not going to be, I think Raheem is mm-hmm. going to do everything he can, but I think they're going to make young mistakes defensively. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of bend, don't break, (laughs) try and force teams to kick field goals and hope that the offense can outscore the other team. And for that, I think they profile as a, as a, as a 500 team and I can't give them eight and eight. So yeah, I went nine. The best we could do is the average of us. (laughs) I went nine and eight. That's, that's my guess. I do think I do. The championship DNA of this team, Stafford cup, Donald McVeigh is still there. Yeah, those th- those four dudes have had so much success beyond just winning the Super Bowl. Having been to another Super Bowl, been to multiple divisional round playoff games, this, this, those guys are too good to just be terrible again. I think last year was an outlier. I know everyone loves having fun with the oh, you trade all them picks. picks. Yeah, yeah. Now we're now it's coming <laughs> home to roost and blah blah blah. I think this team is that those guys are too good to not be at least five hundred. That's just so nine and eight. I think that's pretty fair for those guys. I went eight and nine, the flip side of that. I mean, I don't know. Very, I mean, at least we see it similarly. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it comes down to realistically. I don't even, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know if we said ours for the Cardinals. We both had them at three and 14. I don't know if that was said, but that was our prediction for them. Let's see. The question for this Rams team, though, do you think that, our guy Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup could look how they did during that Super Bowl run. I mean, you kind of talked about it. you feel like the offense will be that essentially. It's just I do, I do. If they could at least make some stops, I, you know. So I think um, I was kind of looking statistically at some stuff. You know, Cooper Cup only played nine games in 2022. Um, Stafford only played nine games. Not all nine of those games were together. Yeah. Um, they only played weeks one through eight together. Then Cup got hurt in week nine without Stafford. Stafford got hurt in week 10 without Cup. So 
by week 10, this team didn't have either one of those guys, right? It just was, yeah. Then it was just a slog to finish the year. Yeah. So weeks one through eight together looked, I was like, all right, let me just look at the stats weeks one through eight with those two guys, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In that time, Cup averaged uh, 102 receiving yards a game and scored six touchdowns over the course of a full season. That would have projected to be 1,700 yards and 23 touchdowns. Obviously, he had the historic 2021 season. He had 19 um, or 1,947 yards and 16 touchdowns. So he and Stafford weren't quite as good in 2022, but it would be dang near impossible to be as good as, you know what I mean? So, But they were pretty close. And that's the thing that I took away when I deep dived these stats. I watched more film. I was like, you know what? Those two guys, when they're healthy, um, even with the beat up O line, still we're not. I mean, they're still pretty good. Yeah, you know, you put an healthy O line, give Stafford some more time. This thing could be really good again quickly. And that's what convinced me. You know, I think the season was less about performance for the Rams last year and more about injuries. Um, yeah, if Stafford and Cup are truly healthy, as all the reports to date have indicated. I think these two can get back to being one of the best tandems in football. They're gonna, I think they're gonna have to carry the Rams, like I said, given their defense. And then mm-hmm. even less talked about the special teams. You know, it's gonna be a bunch of rookies basically. So yeah. that part is where I think they're, you know, I think their offense can be so good that it drags them to 500. Is my thought, yeah. um, just because I, I am betting on the pedigree of McVeigh, Lafleur, Stafford, Cup. Acres in a contract year. <laughs> yeah. But you look at this film, I went back and I was like, all right, what made them so great in 21, right? And then mm-hmm. try and compare something to 22. This was the run in the Super Bowl, the, the last drive to win it, right? Starts off with the fourth and one where they run the little motion. Now, just I want you to pay attention to the details. Most teams, when they run jet sweep, that guy just runs, right? Yeah. And what does the defense do? They adjust. What does Cup do? See how he does the kind of little short motion, chip, 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 shuffle. Then he goes. It totally throws the defense off because they're thinking he's short motioning in the block like he always does. The timing of it is so incredible with he and Stafford. You have to be perfect on the timing of that. And then to get the handoff, they get the sealed edge with Hopkins there. And it's a first down. On fourth and one from your own 30 in the Super Bowl. People have talked about this play numerous times. But just the details of it still get me how quickly they're able to get the snap to handoff right here. It's just impressive. You know, it almost looks, and the O-line makes it, sells it like it's quarterback sneak. That's the other part that's fun. Now you come up to the next play. Here's Cup in the slot at the bottom. Look at that. He just, (laughs) Jermaine Pratt doesn't have a chance. (laughs) Like the Bengals are trying to play zone defense and Jermaine Pratt, Pratt is out here on, essentially with the route concept, is on an island with Cup. Cup's just like, dude, you, you can't guard me. Stafford <laughs> just gets him the ball. It doesn't even matter. Pratt's in a decent spot. It doesn't matter, though. Here you go. This is, this is the no-looker. All right? There's the no-looker. It's been broken down before. But you've, you've got the kind of one high safety. You've got the corner. This is essentially cover three, right? Four under. Yeah, you can see the four under, three deep, right? So he's trying to get this underneath defender whose job is to play high to short to bite so he can throw the dig behind him, right? 
So what does Stafford do? Look at this DB. He's breaking down now. Stafford stares down Hopkins, gets both these guys to bite there so that he can clear the window on the hash behind Von Bell, the the hook defender, and get the ball to cup. Huge play. I mean, it's the one of the best eye manipulations by a quarterback that I've, you've been able to physically see on tape. Yeah. Von Bell has got to be sick. Like, oh, dude, I played that almost perfect, and it's still a com- huge completion to cup. <laughs> okay, here's another play. Now, later in the drive in the red zone, again, Cooper Cup's going to have the little option route. And Logan Wilson is in great coverage for a linebacker, but he doesn't have a chance. The Bengals are playing all this zone with these linebackers trying to cover Coop, and he just they can't cover him, dude. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm telling you, Logan Wilson's in great position. It doesn't matter. Cup's too good. Stafford's too good. Here you go. Now Now this is the game winner, right? On that drive. Fade ball, just one-on-one. I'm better than you, Eli Apple, for the Super Bowl. Game over. <laughs> one of the best seasons a receiver's ever had. I don't think he's going to be that guy in 2023, but I think he and Stafford are going to be good enough to drag this team to 9-8 and eight and, and possibly – Sneak into the playoffs. And the NFC, you know, nine and eight may get you the seventh wild card, you know, the third wild card, the yeah. seventh seed. Yeah. So awesome. here's a play from last year. So then I'm okay, that's the Super Bowl tape from two years ago. Go to go to last year. What does the tape look like? Right. Here's third down against the Cowboys. They're gonna play man coverage, man free, one high safety. Coop's getting man to man, right? Trayvon Diggs. Look, he's already got him beat. You can see it, the stem inside. He's going to get inside this guy, get across his face. Stafford identifies it with a collapsing pocket quickly, gets the ball out of his hands to cup and lets him be in a position where he can catch and run. And this is a touchdown. Great, not blocking in the back, but just cutting a guy off by Ben Skoranek. Yeah. And those those kind of plays were still happening early in the Who year. Who is that guy guarding him? Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> It was Diggs. Yep. Cup burns him, bro. So that's what I'm saying. I think there's – I have faith that those Rams on offense can return to form. And uh, despite my doubts about their defense, I think they can be a decent football team this year. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. I mean, I would love to see some competitive games, you know, if I'm there. So <laughs> that's sure selfish of me to say, but, that, sure that, you know, you that's a fact. Huh? I said I'm sure you would. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, last team in the division we're taking a look at is going to be the Seattle Seahawks. They went nine and eight last year, as you said. You know, nine and eight might get you the playoffs. They did that, lost in the wild card round, and they had them second in the division overall. You know, they they're normally good at running back. Lost a lot of them. I'll let you get into that though. Yeah, um, you know, they, they lost some guys. They lost Edge, Shelby Harris, D lineman, Quentin Jefferson, linebacker Cody Barton, linebacker, uh, D lineman Puna Ford. So they lost a lot up front. But um, you know, to be honest with you, there's there was some stuff, some improvements they need to make there anyway. And they added a D lineman, Draymond Jones, they added safety Julian Love, they added linebacker Bobby Wagner, brought him back, um, added D lineman, Jerron Reed. Linebacker Devin Bush. I mean, so you can see they really attacked 
those areas in free agency. And then they added a center in uh, Evan Brown. But the draft, I think the Seahawks probably had the, my favorite draft of anybody. I think they had yeah. the best draft, honestly. I really do. I just, they, they think they crushed it. I, yeah, I mean, our guy, cornerback Devin Witherspoon, guy we, we both like, and another dude who's just a dog, Jackson Smith and Jigba, edge rusher Derek Hall. I don't know much about that guy, but I know the other two are going to be fun to watch for sure. I mean, Smith and Jigba and Witherspoon, you remember, I had so much trouble with those guys, Addison and Christian Gonzalez. Yeah. Ended up being my number one at receiver in, in corner. But like Jackson Smith and Jigba and Devin Witherspoon ended up being like my one, you know, one A. Yeah. Essentially. Um, I love both those guys. I, it was really hard for me. So I think they've got arguably the best receiver, best corner in the draft. Derek Hall was a is a pass rusher from Auburn who is pretty good. I mean, that's another, it's another good pick. Um, I just think they, they, John Schneider and Pete Carroll, they just crushed the draft. Yeah. And the, the offense and defensive coordinators for the teams would be Shane Waldron and Clint Hurt. You know, looking at their offense, you know, at tackles, they had two guys who were rookies last year that stepped in and played really well, better than you could have even expected. That might've been more surprising even than Geno Smith last year. Charles, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Then in interior, you got Damian Lewis, Phil Haynes, and then they brought in Evan Brown. Something to keep your eye on. They signed Evan Brown in free agency, but they also drafted Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan, who is essentially the best center in the country last year in college football. So really interesting, like sneaky battle. You know, I think Evan Brown's projected to be the starter, but don't be surprised if Olu Oluwatimi – you know, gives him a run for his money. Maybe he ends up winning the job. We'll see. Their skill positions. I realize, man, they outside of they've got three unbelievable receivers right now. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Mm-hmm. Not a lot behind those guys, though. I'll just tell you, not a lot of depth. Now, it's okay because they have three tight ends they really like. Noah yeah. Fant, Will Disley, and Cody Parkinson. I think they're going to be in a lot of at you know. Like, I don't know that they'll ever play 10 personnel. You know, I think they're going to be in 11, 12. And so if you're in 12, it actually takes one of those receivers off the field yeah. in favor of playing another tight end. And I think there are certain things they do offensively where they will they will do that. Okay. The running backs, they've got th- three good running backs. Um, Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, who they just drafted. Again, another player who's really good that they drafted. Yeah. And then DJ Dallas. Um who was kind of like their third down scat back last year. And of course at quarterback, you got Geno Smith coming back and then, and then Drew Locke backing him up. Uh, I think this Seahawks offense could be even better this year, given the additions of, of Charbonnet and JSN, Mm. Geno having another year under the belt, the O-line, you know, some of those young guys having another year under their belt. I think this offense could be even better. Defensively, they they kind of changed their stripes as the year went last year. Schematically, I'm kind of curious to see what they're going to do. If they're going to go back to like Pete Carroll's love of four under three deep, or if they're going to play more two high stuff, and and what they're going to try and do. Um, they were really multiple last year, so we'll see. They have a lot of athletes, a lot of players that I like. 
Um, on the edge, you've got a Chenu Nuosu, Derek Hall, Boye Mafe, Jaron Reed, Daryl Taylor, all guys who can play on that edge. Inside, they're going to have to rely on a rookie, Cameron Young, until Brian Moan, their normal starter, gets healthy. Um, they also have Jonah Tav- Tavai back there, and then Draymond Jones and Mario Edwards Jr., a couple other guys playing on that D-line up front. The linebackers, Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, Devin Bush, form a pretty you know good trio of guys. Um, and then Kobe Bryant, another sick name. Um, <laughs> should play the slot corner once again. Their outside corners, Ter- uh, Tariq Willen and Devin Witherspoon, they're right there with the, the, the tandem up in the Jets for best young corner duo in the league. I really like those two guys. Safety, Quandre Diggs. And then you, you've got Jamal Adams, but they also signed Julian Love, which I wonder if that means they're going to be prepared to move on from Jamal Adams pretty soon here because of his injury history and everything that has happened with him. But they, they've got depth there. I love their secondary. I think they're really good up front. They've got pass rushers. Their linebackers are better this year. I'm, I'm excited for the Seahawks defense. I think this Seattle team can challenge the 49ers for the division. I think the 49ers may take a little step back. I think the Seahawks are going to take some some gains forward with the with the guys they added in free agency in the draft. I really like what they did this offseason. Yeah, I will say it's the one team that was so far for at least this division where you started talking, I was like, man, this team sounds good as good they're as loaded, get. right? Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe my ten seven when I did that was, you know, a little low. But that was also <laughs> like a week or two ago. I just boom 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 boom, you know? <laughs> But the schedule that leads to that prediction that I made, they start off against the Rams at home. Following that, they go out to Detroit playing the Lions. Then they get uh, the Panthers at home right here week three. Following that, they're going out to New York playing the Giants on Monday night. That could be a good one depending on what the Giants do with Saquon bringing them back or paying them, I should say, not bringing them back. Uh, and then following those four games, they get their bye. That's pretty early, sadly enough. But maybe it's well-deserved for this week six game. They got the Bengals in Cincy. So get get an extra week to prepare for those dudes. And then they get a couple of home games here. Week seven, they got the Cardinals. And then week eight, they got the Browns. Following that Browns game, they go out to Baltimore playing the Ravens week nine. Week 10, they got... The Commanders at home, and they go back, or they play the Rams again. Sorry, and they go to L.A. Rams will be on their coming off their bye week right there. They seen on the last one. Week twelve, they got the Niners uh, at home on the Thanksgiving Day, Thursday. Let's see, week thirteen, they play the Cowboys Thursday as well. That seems like a a bad scheduling thing to do, but two. Two short weeks, I guess, back to back. Well, it's and not. Then, it's not really a short week if you play on Thursday and then again on Thursday. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> what are you gonna do after Thanksgiving, though? You know what I mean? Like you're gonna take another day or they're extra? I'm assuming the day off. What they're gonna do? <laughs> I don't know. It seems tragic, though, for real. And then yeah, following you. that Cowboys game, they go to the Bay, playing the Niners again. You know. The, the the sandwich the twice in three weeks 
I like that. The sandwich. The schedule sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Week 15, they got the Eagles. So, you know, they play the two NFC Championship games right there. Uh, teams. Eagles is at home, though. So, they only got to travel. Week 16, they go out to Tennessee. That's a team we haven't seen in this division yet. So, that's cool. Playing Titans on the road. Week 17, they get the Steelers at home. And then they close out on the road in Arizona. So I think the the meat of this schedule for the Seahawks is weeks 11 through 15. They got to play the Rams coming mm-hmm. off their bye. Then they go to, you know, or back home to Seattle for that 49ers game on Thanksgiving. I don't know if I've been more pumped for a Thanksgiving game in recent memory. Like mm-hmm. I think that Seattle crowd is going to be electric. I really think that game on Thanksgiving and then obviously the game – a, you know, another week and a half later, whatever it is, two week, two weeks later, at the Niners, um, those two games could determine this division, and, and potentially that game on Thursday night, you know, on Thanksgiving in Seattle, twelfth man, all that yeah. stuff. I think that game, that's just that's going to be a great game. I'm super excited for it. Um, I think it really could determine who wins the division, and then obviously, you know, they got the Cowboys the next week on the road. Like you said, that the schedule sandwich with the Cowboys on a Thursday night in between, then having to go play at the Niners again, and then the Eagles at home. That's a tough stretch, man. That yeah. that stretch I think could determine, you know, whether we what we really think of Seattle. Are we? Were they going to come out of that stretch thinking, wow, the Seahawks are Super Bowl contenders, or yeah, they're they're probably a wild card team that's going to lose in the wild card round, like they did the year before. I mean, that's really probably what we're going to come out of that stretch having a pretty good feeling about with them. Now, their their weeks one through seven is probably their their easy stretch. They start the year fairly easily. You know, they get the Rams at home. Um, they get the Panthers and the Cardinals at home. They got to go on the road to the Lions, the Giants, and then that Bengals game is tough. And other than that, mm-hmm. I really like that their early season schedule. Um, yeah. You know, the toughest game early in the season is at Cincy, but – They'll have the advantage of the bye week to prepare for that one. And mm-hmm. uh, I think they could start the year 4-2 and two and start really strong and challenge the 49ers for this division. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, my bold prediction is that they're both going to finish 11-6, and six, but yeah. that Seattle will win the tiebreaker and win the division. Mm-hmm. That They're going to beat them on Thanksgiving, and that's going to be enough to uh, ultimately win the division at 11-6. and six. That's interesting. That's... Uh... It's very doable, pending what happens with the Niners. I mean, I know I had them being a little bit better, but it's a you got me juice for this team for sure. It hadn't sneaky, (laughs) the sneaky might be better than we think. Yep, there's always, and I actually, you know, I kind of played that card with the Rams, might be better than we think. I played that card Uh with the Seahawks, might be better than we think, and then I think I kind of pulled the rug out from from people who really love the Niners and was like, eh, there yeah. might be some more issues with this team. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I think, um, you know, you can't have all four teams be, we might be better than we think. So I, I went with the Rams and the well, Seahawks in that category and the, and the Niners pulled the rug a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. So a question for the Seahawks team is, do you think Geno Smith can improve his gameplay from last year to this year? 
I mean, it would be absolutely true to say that Geno had one of the most unprecedented years for a quarterback in NFL history last year. Uh, I think that's just the truth right there. He went for he went from five total starts in six years while playing for four different franchises <laughs> to throwing for four thousand plus yards. That's crazy. A thirty to eleven touchdown to interception ratio making his first career Pro Bowl and leading his team to the playoffs in 2022. Um, I, th- I think about as good a story. At, yeah, I mean, give him his flowers. Give him a round of applause. Give him whatever he needs to give him because it's about as good a story as I've heard in the NFL and, and quite yeah. some time in terms of a guy just like rising to the challenge, seizing the moment, seizing an opportunity. It's, it's like a great lesson to everyone out there who's like, oh, I'm not getting what I want. I think I should be this. I think I should be that. Yeah. I'm not getting the opportunity. Hey, man, when that opportunity shows, you better if you if you want those things, you better take advantage. And that's what Gino did. Mm-hmm. You know, the opportunity showed itself. He was he was he was better than a- I think anybody, probably even Gino himself. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure <laughs> that guy's got incredible. He has to have incredible confidence in himself. But I I would think even he didn't see. 4,000 yeah. yards, 30 to 11 touchdown to INT. You know, like that's that's he didn't a right back, bro. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am happy for that dude, you know? I mean, he, yeah. like on the Jets, he took a punch to the jaw. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, he's just, he's had a real comeback. So um, I think this is all real too. That's the thing. I don't think it's a one-year wonder. I think it's a real thing. Um, and I think all the p- traits that Gino displayed in the Seattle offense are things that they needed. Like his processing was efficient. Um, his mobility added some necessary layers to their offense. His deep ball was accurate and he didn't try and force plays that weren't there. That's why he only had 11 picks, you know, to 30 touchdowns. Um, I think he needs to even raise the bar more for this, this it's a young talented Seattle team with the core that like, if they want to be a contender, Gino's got to be just as good and even Mm -hmm. raise the bar. Right. Um, I went back and looked at like this Lions game was probably his best game from the year last year. So just some stuff. Number one, the mobility, right? Off the boot, fake toss boot action, get outside around the edge player to be able to create this throw. It's a great play. This this is again the added mobility element to the offense. Get around the edge, find a wide open Tyler Lockett for a significant gain. Now we'll go empty, right? Processes everything, sees it, gets the ball out of his hands to a wide open DK Metcalf in the middle and puts it where, like, if he puts it anywhere else, DK is not catching that or it's an interception or it's a pass breakup. Like, he puts it perfectly in the middle of the field where only DK could catch it, take the hit, and his, use his big body to make the play. Yeah. Now he's back. Sure. Little motion, little play action, deep drop. Again, Rush is coming into his face, puts it on the money. The experience of playing in the league for so long, it's like you can just see it in the reps. Great throw. I think they even called roughing the passer on that. There you go. They run the ball on this play. Don't get much, get a couple yards. I think 
a lot of people assumed in a best case scenario, Gino could be like a game manager. And he's just, he was just so much more than that. They go back to empty. Now check this out. That mobility, QB draw, nasty. Yeah. Follow the blocker. He, yeah, that's money. It, it's funny because how similar he's like, you know, I was talking about those two quarterbacks in San Francisco, right? Yeah. All the different looks that you got with, you know, you could go out of the gun, you could go under center with, with Purdy, but then you got the added element of Trey Lance running the ball with him. Mm-hmm. Gino is kind of the perfect blend of both those guys right now. You just saw it in one series against the Lions, right? He could do all of it. He's under center. He can give you the play action. He can he can go empty. He can go out of the gun. He can give you the QB run game. He did a great job last year. I anticipate him being just as good. I I don't think that was a one hit wonder. I think his career, you know, he's he's a little older for being a guy who's ascending, but I think he's got some good years ahead of him. Yeah, buy yourself a little time, maybe make a little extra bed late, late in the years. You know? <laughs> little extra bread, huh? Yeah, a little extra bread. But, so you know, that brings yeah. us. Oh, well, I'm I'm just finishing up. So you've got the Niners winning the division, mm-hmm. Seattle two, Rams three, Cardinals way behind in four. Yeah, I've got. Seattle and San Francisco tie for the division. I'm saying Seattle wins the the tiebreaker. Yeah. I got the Rams in third, possibly sneaking into a wild card because um, the NFC, I think, is weak this year. And uh-huh. then the Cardinals, we both feel very similarly on that they're just going to be bad. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm th- this division, man, it's a good division. It's fun. We'll see what happens with it. That's for sure. And brings us to the part of the episode. You got the banger, you know. What what did you watch or listen? What what stuck out to you this week? Oh man, I think you know what I'm going to tell you. So this, you know, we normally don't hype up uh, other podcasts, given this is our podcast and we want you to yeah. listen to us. But, but I'm all for giving you the content that sounds good, makes sense, whatever. Right. Um. I highly recommend anyone at any level of football, fandom, whatever. Um, Jordan Rodriguez is a writer for The Athletic. She did a narrative podcast. It's five parts. Each part is like around an hour, maybe less, um, on Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, and, and Matt LaFleur. And their evolution as play callers, their process – how they've evolved, how they've made changes all the way going back to when Kyle was like a kid and saw his dad, Mike coaching in the league. And um, I just thought she did one, a great job of capturing the personalities of all those guys and how different they are and how that shows up in the way that they call plays and the way that they design offenses. Yeah. Number two, showcasing like the evolution of offense in the NFL in the last 10 years, while also talking about the evolution of defense and how it's responded to that. Um, The interviews with the people surrounding those guys, like RG3 who played for Mm -hmm. those guys in Washington, or Raheem Morris who has worked with all those guys on the defensive side. um, I just thought it blew me away how much I learned or could think about how like the process of those guys developing the, what they develop as opposed to just being like, Hey, this guy's awesome. Here's why. You know, I thought she did a great job compiling a lot of information and giving you a lot of the why, the why. Mm -hmm. Like when you're watching a game and things happen, sometimes it's like, oh, that was a big play. 
this is like so much of the in-depth why that if you're a real, you know, football junkie, like I think you and I are, um, you crave. And, and obviously me as a coach, I'm always looking at that and yeah. innovating and thinking about what to do next and why, and why it makes sense. What could people do against it? All that stuff. Um, so I just thought she, she knocked it out of the park. It's called the play callers. It's on all the podcast platforms. I highly, highly recommend if you're a football fan that you listen to it. Joe, I I sent a text to you like the day I listened to it. What'd you think? Yeah. Uh, so I only listened to the first one while I was at the gym. I was doing, I don't remember what I was doing. Nothing crazy. I think it did legs yesterday. So I was just listening to it. Right, and it was good. It's crazy because, like you said, it shows all their personalities. But it, I think the the crazy part is the way they talk about the game, right? So, like, within the first three minutes, like, I already thought this dude Kyle Shanahan was crazy. Uh, he was <laughs> like, he was like, we could run one play forty different ways. He's like, we could do this. We could have this guy do this and this guy do this on a different play. And it's just like their minds move so crazily. And then, like you said, they incorporate how they all like cross pass, right? So obviously, most notably known Mike McDaniel was the ball boy for the Broncos back in the day. And mm-hmm. I think that fool is hilarious. Like he doesn't <laughs> like he he sounds like really like monotone, but the in the way he talks, it's like he's like a surfer type dude, right? He's just like, man, like, you know. He'll just crack little jokes for fun. You know, yeah. uh, like in the, in the beginning, he was like, tap, tap, like tin the mic. Like, is this on? And they're <laughs> like, yeah, like say a sentence for us to see if it's picking up. And he was like, the weeping wallow whistled in the wind. It's like, you know what I mean? Like this guy is just something else. Yeah, he's just a different cat, bro. Yeah. No question. <laughs> um, it was it was interesting hearing Shanahan when he was the OC in Washington and all those guys were like QC guys for him, basically. Yeah, yeah. And how he sort of treated them. And I think a lot of people perceived it as like, oh, man, he was a real jerk to him, like whatever. But I could so relate in my coaching career where it's like, bro, if you have an idea, bring it to the table. But make sure you have thought about every angle and every question that someone could ask you as to why it works or what it does and what the counter is. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if they do this, like you better have a response to everything. Yeah, And you're – when you're having to do that, it makes you so much better. I can attest, like I've been in coaching offices and rooms where I thought I had a good idea. I brought it to the table. Someone asked one question and instantly it's like, oh, I don't have an answer for that. Well, yeah. that's dumb. Why'd you bring it to the table? <laughs> and you get laughed off the, you know what I mean? You get laughed yeah. off the stage. It's like, yeah, okay, go, go try again. Uh-huh. Uh, but then it's a great feeling when you have something and you're like, no, this is the answer. Here's what we can do. Here's how mm. we max this guy out. And this is what, you know, oh, if they do this, oh, this is the counter. This is what we do. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And you have that stuff already mapped out. So when questions are being asked, it's like getting the answers to a test before you take it and you already <laughs> have it. You know how good that feeling yeah. is? And um, so I could totally relate to how he was talking about those things. And it, I just, it made me feel like, oh man, I've, I've been in that room, done that thing before I get yeah. it. Um, so, it, but it was just cool the way that, they talk about football. I think you're right. It's just like, man, they're at an elevated level. They're always oh, thinking yeah. about the next thing and innovating mm-hmm. and processing. And so, um, highly recommend that. And kind of in tandem with that, Netflix just released today. Quarterback follows oh, yeah. Mahomes, Mariota, Kirk Cousins. I started watching that. 
I got like an episode in. It looks uh-huh. good. So far, so good. I would recommend that to football fans as well. I don't know how many episodes it is. The one episode was like an hour. Okay. So I'll Makes probably sense. watch some more tonight, you know? Yeah. Get after it, breaking down some tape, watching some quarterback. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's what we got for you. You know, I think next week we'll probably come back. I think we're going to do a huge rankings pod is uh, what like Joe and I have kind of been. Order? Yeah, we kind of been talking about some different stuff. I think we're just going to yeah. rank a bunch of different things, teams, position, <laughs> players, like just do some rankings, you know, just, just yeah. crack up some rankings, put up some graphics, talk about it. Uh, we've talked about every team at this point, what we think mm-hmm. kind of where they're at. So we'll do some ranking stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, by that point, once that one's done, then we'll start talking training camp. We'll start. Yeah, dude, the meat of football is we're getting back, <laughs> baby. We're back. Yeah, we're on the slope to, to games now. Yeah, we are now on the upward trend. We've, yeah. we've made it through the downward and we're, we're starting to get the upward climb. By the end of the month, we're going to be. yeah it'll be some good times ahead of us for sure you know if you made it this far thanks for listening as always appreciate it you know follow us on our socials we got you want to hit us with one of these real quick yeah we got this second and two second two underscore podcast there you go we got twitter you know tiktok obviously we're on youtube we're on Spotify, Apple Pods, Amazon, wherever you get your, your content. And we're there. Hit us with a follow. Appreciate that. Like I said, leave comments, you know, out on top of subscribing. And let us know what you want to see from, you know, something looking on forward, maybe. Give us yeah. some ideas. And until then, we got our guy, Ray Ray. Taking us out. Been working all year. Look into my eyes, it's hunger, there's no fear. Fucking like y'all ready, boy. I promise you, we coming. Anybody that want it can get it, play it's nothing. We ain't never worried about listening to the chatter. Cause when we get on the field, we know that none of it matter. I've been through a lot, man. Can't nothing phase me. Got this through the section and the stands going crazy. Everybody turn it up, we putting on a show. Pumas, we be popping in the people, yeah, they love. 951 be the city, never change. We the Sheffield Pumas, everybody know the name. We ain't here to make friends, we gon' let them see. Get your chain snatched like a key crab tree. Squad full of goons, we ready to bring the pain. Show them how we do, we about to let it bang. About to go and get it, kill them with the swag. Tryna act tough, they be looking, we just laugh. See them getting mad, cause they know we ain't stressed. Be prepared for this moment, we done passed all the tests. Been through the rain, been through the struggle. We ain't never break, we just put on more muscle. Put on for the city, man, running with the pride. Friday night lights when the boomers come alive. I throw your boomers up, we gon' get it, that's right. Friday night lights, we turn up tonight. In the bad spot, if you on the other side. Time to let it bang, make them feel that boomer pride. Let it bang, let it bang, let it bang, get yeah. Let it bang, let it bang, show them how I put my do it. Let it bang, let it bang, get yeah. Turn me up, let it bang, let it bang, let it bang, let it bang. Let it put on for the city, that's really all that we do. Yeah. Nothing to lose and a whole lot to prove. On the field late and I'm in the gym early. Overtime on my grind, I can see him worry. Put the pads on, we about to bring the boom. The Legion of Doom, everybody better make room. You can see the fuse from the fire. Product of the pain and the hunger and desire. Talking like you.
wanted, man. I hope you ain't lying. Bottom line, we the boomers, but we feeling like some lions. Dropping off heat at your feet every week. Everybody want to be a beast to the sign of each. Oh, we gon' see if you really bought it. Thinking you get in on me, boy, I really doubt it. Putting in work, bitch, steady with the grind. You ain't taking nothing, play This is all mine. Throw your boomers up, we gon' get it, that's right. Friday night lights, we turn up tonight. In the best spot, if you on the other side. Time to let it paint, make them feel that boomer pie. Let it paint, let it paint, let it paint, yeah. Let it paint, let it paint, show them how boomer do it. Let it paint, let it paint, yeah. Turn me up, let it paint, let it paint, let it paint, let it paint. Blood, sweat, tears, time getting near. I've been saying that for so long, now it's here. Come through the whole chin, checking everybody. We just put them in the dirt, man. Treat it like a hobby. Oops, I mean happy. Else can't have it. We ain't standing around waiting for nothing. We grab it. I remember putting in work all alone. Now my team with me and we all in the zone. Never giving nothing, so you better understand. We don't care about your plan. This is for my pride, man. Get into the huddle, tell the fellas, turn it up. Fourth quarter coming, throw them double deuces up. Let them know what's up, man. The crowd never dying. Refi keep holding me, man. Quit crying. Put your boomers up. Show them Puma pride. Friday night lights when the boomers come alive. I throw your boomers up. We gon' get it. That's right. Friday night lights. We turn up tonight. In the best spot if you on the other side. Time to let it bang. Make them feel that Puma pride. Let it bang. Let it bang. Let it bang. Yeah. Let it bang. Let it bang. Show them how Puma do it. Let it bang. 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 Let it